Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Hi, I'm Wendy James and you're listening to Soho Garage on Soho Radio and I'm in for your regular host, James Maynell. Today's show features the second part of my epic interview with Chris Franz about his memoir, Out Now, called Remain in Love. And the playlist for today's show is made up of some of my all-time favourite songs, born out of that mid-late 70s CBGB downtown New York scene, which Chris and the Talking Heads were so much part of. And it's that music which propelled me to move to New York City permanently back in 2001. 9-11 had just happened a couple of months before, and when I arrived in New York to live there, the massive craters were still all there was at Ground Zero, the enormous cranes still pulling debris out of the foundations of where the Twin Towers used to stand. I think the memorial which is there now, the infinity pool, down down into the foundations, seemingly to the centre of the earth, with the names of each killed person inscribed around the granite, is so stoic and beautiful, and testament to being able to build something out of tragedy. Being a Londoner, and having lived in Labrick Grove, I was always very happy and proud to come from such a multicultural environment, and tangibly felt strengthened by the way people brought different cultures from their heritage and cross-pollinated with each other. That's where rock and roll comes from, of course. African-American spirituals evolving into the blues, evolving into rock and roll. And in there is seeded country music, folk music, any form of music which has given voice to people in times of plight and hardship and suffering, and also love and celebration. We sing and make music when we feel something. Music is how we give voice to our feelings. Without that multicultural crossover, you'd never have had rock and roll. Can you grasp the reality that when Little Richard and Chuck Berry, B.B. King, Muddy Waters were having hits, they weren't even allowed into the clubs where people were dancing to their music? The Beatles and the Stones, most famously, but by no means the only British bands and musicians, got these guys onto big international tours or covered their songs because it was this music which had moved them and caused them to be musicians in the first place. And um, in turn, it kind of helped them get recognition, further recognition, and perhaps some decent pay. Record contracts in those days, especially with black musicians, were not equitable in any way, and you signed away your rights completely. In Chris's book, he reveals how Lou Reed's manager offered the early unsigned talking heads a dodgy contract too, and that makes me laugh. I love Lou Reed. So, coming from West London and all the great West Indian music and life around me, 
it was even more thrilling to arrive in New York City, where every region of the planet is mixed together. I love seeing the Dominican Republic flags waving from tower blocks when you're coming in from JFK by taxi. And New York is just the perfect microcosm of the whole planet. You know, after such, after such a boom time in the 50s, for white people primarily, uh, and white men to be precise, you know, that Madison Avenue madmen kind of vibe, the Vietnam War propelled times toward tremendous progressive activism for women's rights, civil rights, black rights, and for peace. But conversely, the time was uh, presided over by Richard Nixon and then Gerald Ford. And New York fell victim to tremendous neglect to the point that it pleaded near bankruptcy and a dire need for financial aid, to which then President Gerald Ford famously replied, New York could drop dead. And it was in this environment that Chris, Tina, David, Richard Hell, Patti Smith, Debbie Harry, Chris Stein, all found themselves living in run-down lofts with no electricity, no heating, with junkies on the streets and crime on every corner. And there on the Bowery was CBGB, started by Hilly Crystal. Uh, CBGB standing for Country, Bluegrass and Blues. Now, of course, those lofts go for millions of dollars with walls covered in Jean-Michel Basquiat and Warhol. I think Richard Hell might live in the same apartment he's had since then, but those days are gone. And as chaotic and, and potentially dangerous as they were, what came out of it is incredible. Just like UK punk coming out of the rubble and filth and disillusion of 1976 Britain. Anyway, so let's hear a few more of the CBGB bands and then when I come back I will be joined by Chris Franz for part two of our talk. Hi, Chris. Chris Franz is here with us today on Soho Radio, Soho Garage, and I'm standing in for James Maynell. And we're talking about Chris's new book called Remain in Love, which is out on which day? Here in Europe, what, when can we get it? Uh, July 21st in the UK. Right. And, and I'm, I, it's also coming out in Spain and Italy, but I'm not sure exactly when. Uh, I don't think it's been translated yet, but it's going to be. It's and so you can you can get it you can order it from you know Amazon yep. or or uh, in the UK you can order from uh, pre-order from uh, Rough Trade or Waterstones and and th they also have signed copies. I signed oh. so many so, oh. I signed so many books, Wendy. It's yeah. crazy. How is how's your signature when you're doing this stuff? Did you get? I mean, how, how many did you sign and how long, how many days did it take you? <laughs> well, I, I, I should probably say, oh, I only signed a dozen, so they're very rare. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But let, let me just say that, that it was kind of mind boggling. Right. Uh, I got it done. Did you do, a, did you, is it inscribed with a message or is it, or is it just your wonderful? It's just my signature. And you know, when you sign a lot of your signature, a lot of times, at least with me, 
I begin to critique my, my own signature. Like, oh, oh, I can do better than that. <laughs> and you know what? The more that we use laptop, uh, laptops and so on, the worse our handwriting becomes anyway. I, I, I do know, I, I think I used to have quite nice handwriting when I was a kid, but uh, nowadays it's, it's, it's just a really lazy scroll. But um, uh, yeah. I'm sure yours is worth going and getting from Amazon. I mean, it'll be in uh, lots of bookstores as well across London, I, I would assume, across, across the whole I of I hope so, yeah, yeah. How exciting. And the reviews I've seen so far, well, no, I haven't seen it. Ah, oh, you were in Rolling Stone the other day, weren't you? But I, I was. Um, I was. It was an, a fairly extensive interview, and uh, the guy seemed to like the book. Right. The writer. And, but the, ah, oh, some of your line and, no, some, that's where I saw it. I was looking, you, looking it up on Amazon. And there's the um, really wonderful things being said by Debbie Harry, all sorts of, you know, your close friends who also happen to be co-icons. But uh -huh. the funny one was Bill Murray. Tell I me know. what Bill Murray says. Uh, Bill Murray said something to the effect of, uh, ever, ever since I, I, oh, I can read it. I have it here. Yeah, 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 please. He said, uh, from the first time I saw Talking Heads live at CBGB in 1976, I've had, I've had a huge thing for Tina Weymouth. But after reading Remain in Love by Chris France, it's become pretty clear to me that she's already in a relationship. And what's more, it looks to be serious. So but good. you know something? That's okay. I'm happy for Tita and Chris, a great drummer who has written a great book. <laughs> you know, that's not only what a great we all, quote. We all love Bill, Bill Murray, you know, everybody. And so was he a Talking Heads fan then? Did he used to come to the shows? Did you know? I did not know that. That was before he was uh, famous. Oh, right. the, the first time we met him was when we played the Saturday Night Live show, and it was it was in 1970, either late 78 or early 79, and um, maybe it was 79, and it was his first season as as a member of the cast. Wow, was 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 Eddie Murphy there during that time? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, Eddie was there, and um, Ch uh, Chevy Chase. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't think Eddie was there yet. Uh, Chevy Chase had quit after the first season because he got offered to do some movies. Oh. And, uh, Who, Dan Aykroyd? Uh, Is it, I mean, Dan, I Ac Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Gilda Radner. Wow. Did you meet? Uh, yeah, we met them, sure. And were Talking Heads, was this like a big break for Talking? I mean, I'm, I've jumped forward now. You've Obviously, by this point, you've convinced Tina to be in the band. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm guessing you're in New York and we're into, into the CBGB phase, right? Yes. We, we, well, we were kind of beyond the CBGB stage uh, when we played Saturday Night Live. I mean, we still went to the club frequently, but we were, what they say, too big to play wow. CBGB. So we were playing uh, small theaters around New York and around the area by that time. But uh, you want to talk about CBGBs? That was a yeah, scene. Because you know, you know me a little bit and 
that that period of time is endlessly fascinating for me and millions of people that weren't there. So please, yes. Yeah. So so the the day I moved to New York City, I went to visit a friend of mine who's a painter named Jamie Dowglish, and Jamie lived on Bond Street, which was just catty corner, like a, a stone's throw from CBGB's. Okay. And I I was talking to Jamie, who was a a friend, and he said. Uh, you know, Chris, uh, there's something going on. I know you like music. There's something going on at this club across the street, CBGB's. You should really check it out. Oh. So I went that night, and uh, it was like a Wednesday night, and nothing was going on. But there were some guys at the, at the pool table in the back, and I went back there, and one of them was, like, they were Latino guys, and one of them was in a... Uh, silver shark skin suit with like a purple oh. shirt and a white tie and sort of Elvis Presley sunglasses, mm. late Elvis Presley sunglasses. Oh. And, and uh, it was Arturo Vega. who and, and Arturo said, I said, what's going on? Uh, anybody going to play tonight? Tell everybody who doesn't know who Arturo Vega is. Arturo was the uh, the graphic designer and the lighting person for for the Ramones, and so Arturo said to me in a uh, heavy Mexican accent, "Nothing happening tonight, but come back on the weekend. The Ramones will be here." Okay. And I, I thought to myself, "Oh, the Ramones, a Mexican band." <laughs> And of course, it turned. I, I went back on the Saturday night to see them, and they were they were just fantastic, even even in that very early uh, incarnation. And, and um, which songs were they playing? What which songs were they playing? They were playing like the songs from their first album. Right. And and what was so funny was uh, they uh, would would make a mistake and stop and yell at each other for making oh, a mistake. How great, how great as entertainment, how great is that to watch? There were, there were not very many people in the audience in those days, maybe, maybe 20, maybe less, maybe only 15 or so, most of whom were in some way related to the Ramones or their, right. or their girlfriend. But I loved them. I thought, like, this is conceptual art. This is right. great. And um, then the next weekend I came back and it was Patti Smith, accompanied by only, in those days, by our mutual friend Lenny Kay wow. on, on guitar. And that was, that was spine tingling because Patti was, Patti was quite a performer already. Right. Um, you know, she'd done a lot of poetry readings uh, and... Uh, she was charismatic, no doubt about it. And was and, he good on guitar at that time? Did he have his stuff together by then? Yeah, it, it was pretty pretty basic guitar, you know, like rhythm guitar, but it was good. It was so perfect. Was providing background to her poetry, basically. Yes, yes. And, uh, and, and in some cases, melody. Uh, there, there, were, there was, you know, she would break into song. Right. And, um, and then, the next week, I think I saw television. Oh my this is, god! This is the television. This is the television with Richard Hell. Richard Hell, yeah. On bass, and uh, who who is 
also from Kentucky, like me. And uh, I, I went up to ask Richard. I, I, I asked Richard Hill. I said, I, I hear you're from Kentucky. And he, he, he pretended like he didn't hear me. <laughs> like he didn't want to be identified as a hillbilly. <laughs> right. And by now you must have wigged like, my God, there's something going on here. Yes, absolutely. And I, what I thought was, you know, I was in New York with the idea of starting this band with David. And we, uh, you know, I, I, I said, David, you want to start a band in New York? And he said, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like that. And, uh, and, and I thought we would find other players. Tina had still refused to join us. Oh, uh, she was going to concentrate on her painting. Uh, and uh, and we all had day jobs, and it was a very exciting time. But but um, uh, oh, I forgot where I was going. Um, uh, the first time Talking Heads, you know, had Tina and decided to play. Get a, how how did you, you get a gig at CBGB? And in fact, I, how many songs did you have? Well, well, we had enough songs. One day, one day Tina came in after work and. She was carrying a, a bass guitar, uh, a Fender, that same guitar you described before, the Fender Precision, the and, uh, quite a, a vintage one, a really good one. And um, uh, she had been paying for it out of her wages, uh, $5 a week and, and laying down $5 a week to save it. And then finally, I think her parents gave her $100 for her. 20 something birthday oh. and um she uh spent it on her bed she had enough money to buy it and so she brought it home she still didn't have an amp but she had a bass and she walked in the door and i was like oh. hallelujah and uh tina david and i started rehearsing together like like basically just jamming look at trying to find a distinctive sound that was different Right. From from what people had come to expect from a rock and roll band, and you know, in 1974. Right. So so uh, so how I got the when we got enough material together to uh, to do oh, a, yes, a yes, little yes. a short set. Uh, when we got enough material together to do a short set, I walked over to CBGB's. Our loft was three and a half blocks away. And I walked over there and I said to Hilly, uh, I have a band uh, and I was wondering if we could audition to play here. Yeah. And you know, Hilly has a very deep voice and he said, well, what, what kind of music do you play? And I, <laughs> said, I said, well, we play in a style of our own. And he chuckled and he said, I think he'd heard that one before. He what? said, well, he chuckled. He said, well I, well, I guess I could put you on in front of the Ramones on Thursday night. Oh, my goodness. That makes me nervous. Well, we didn't even have a name for our band yet. So, so, <laughs> so and, and the gig was like two or three days away. So uh, we made up these T-shirts. Well, wait. I, I did, okay. <laughs> let me digress. We had a friend visiting us from Rhode Island School of Design who said, uh, I've been reading TV Guide. His name is Wayne Z. 
He said, I've been reading TV Guide and they have a glossary of technical terms from the television industry, broadcasting industry. And one of the things, one of the terms is talking head. Talking heads. It's the um it's considered to be the most boring, but also the most informative format of broadcasting. Oh. So we thought, talking heads, talking heads, that sounds cool. Because it, it didn't it didn't connote or make you think it didn't make you think of any particular type of style of music. It didn't sound like heavy metal. Didn't sound like funk. Certainly didn't sound like disco. So uh, Tina and I had these little t-shirts made up um, with, you know, the iron-on letters that said talking heads. I had a red one and Tina had a black one with silver. So those t-shirts. Well, Actually, Tina's is now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we did our gig, and we had a, like the Ramones, we only had a few people down there to see it. Were you so anxious? I mean, this is your first gig, and the Ramones audience, I mean, were you nervous? I was a little bit nervous, but but not overly nervous, Uh, not not that crippling kind of nervousness. Right. Uh, um, but we were, we were a very jittery band. I mean, if you look at the videos, you can see that we're not exactly comfortable <laughs> in our, in our uh, skins, you know? And I think that was our reputation of, uh, for being a little bit- Quirky. Quirky and, um, Perky jerky was a word that was often used to describe our sound. I mean, the name now, retrospectively, of course, the name, the sound, and the look are all so perfect, aren't they? I mean, you yeah. only sound like you. Talking heads somehow in our imagination sums up exactly what it sounds and looks like. It's a yeah. You, know, you are. You were, and you are. A unique band. You weren't in the. You weren't in a tradition of others uh, that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really something amazing when you originate something. You know, original. Yeah. Yeah, it's chal- It's a challenge. It, it just. You know, it just happened because of the chemistry, the this sort of unique chemistry that the three of us had, and then later Jerry brought to the into the. Um, but but you know every every band down at C well, almost every band down at CBGB's was pretty unique uh, at the time. I mean certainly Patty Smith was um, the Ramones were I believe television were, mm. uh, but Talking Heads was maybe the most herky jerky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I want to play some of these guys and uh, uh, yeah. A little bit more of talking, and then we'll come back and talk about Tom Tom Club. But please, just if you don't mind, tell tell the story about um, was it Johnny Ramone who was there that night, and and what he said about your band, and uh, oh yeah, you passed your audition. <laughs> after after the after we did our little set, I heard Johnny say to Hilly Crystal, "Yeah, they can support us. They can be the opening act because they suck." And they'll make us look good. <laughs> that good brotherhood of spirit between rock and roll band. Yeah. Uh, 
That's brilliant. Well, okay, let's hear the Ramones and let's hear more Talking Heads. And then please tell me a little bit more about Tom Tom Club and, and more, more, more about your book. Okay. Okay, um, those were some magnificent songs. Um, apropos of Chris Franz from Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club being my guest here today to tell us about his new book, which is out now actually, um, uh, in the stores and on Amazon, and it's called Remain in Love. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you for doing this. Well, thank you, Wendy. I love Soho Radio. <laughs> you've been on before. I think you've spoken with James Maynell, haven't you? I, I spoke with James a, a couple years back, I think it was, yeah. Well, he's been gracious enough to offer me up the last Friday, and I mean, the la yeah, the last Friday of each month for me to do a little radio spot. So I can't think Marvelous. of a better way to, to begin than uh, speak to you. And um, anyway, so bio biographically, where we'd left off, and I must speed up your life story here, um, <laughs> was, uh, you know, the ins uh, uh, your first gig and your audition and then getting into the CBGB scene. Well, we all know Talking Heads then went on to be one of the, the biggest bands in the world, right? Massive touring. Yes, we, 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 we did um, quite a few t world tours and, you know, uh, we, we, we developed quite a, quite a, quite a strong performance, you know, we, 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 uh, over the years, we we got better, and we. Um, and your famous uh, documentary of those gigs in in Italy. Uh, oh, director. Oh, yeah, that was in Rome. That's that's on YouTube. Um, I would love to. I, I would love to that for that to be officially re released because, you know, many people have seen the movie Stop Making Sense, yeah. which is which is great. Uh, make no yeah. mistake about it. But, one of the but, best music documentaries in the world. Or yeah. documentaries, live performance videos. Yes, but this thing in Rome that I'm talking about, which I begin the book, my book with, actually, the first chapter is about that show in Rome in 1980. And uh, um, there's, there was something something about not just the band but also the audience that made that and it was it was um it was on Ital it was right before christmas and it was on italian tv and uh they, they i'm not sure if it's videotape or film mm. but it's black and white and and uh oh no 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 it's color but but anyway it, they uh they shot it for Italian TV, and it's so awesome, right. so uh, so raw and you know sinewy and sexy and just really happening. So uh, so I began my book with with that 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 particular night because you know we did a lot of shows, but I rem I remember that one as being one of the most intense and uh, intense how. Uh, well, like the audience, for example, was was mostly young men, you know, in Rome. You know, the girls have to stay home with their parents, but but in those days, so it was mostly young men, and um, uh, they were uh, 
There was a lot of smoke in the air. It was, it was cold outside, but it was kind of like really muggy and hot inside. It was in an amphitheater. Right. And uh, 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 it was like the mob. You know, the audience was like the mob of ancient days of Rome. Just wow. like, it's like wow. you, could, that was you could see them. Yeah. You could see them heaving and, uh, you know, moving back and forth and uh, in waves and stuff. And when we finally, the opening act was a band called The Selector. And they, they did a great job. Uh, they did a great job. And, and but by the time we walked out on stage, the roar from the crowd was so loud that I, I had to ask them, I couldn't hear anything. And I had to ask the monitor man to please crank up my monitor because I can't even hear the band. The, the audience was shouting so loud. And um, uh, it was, that's what I mean by intense, you know? <laughs> right. So I guess thousands of people following you or waiting outside the, the backstage exit and you know yeah i i think there were there were a few yeah yeah i don't know about thousands but <laughs> Mark. yeah and um okay so talking heads i mean i do want to i really want to get on to your second band uh tom tom club because yes equally equally an iconic band and uh, once again you you delivered music that was unlike any any other and for some people, Tom Tom Club is there of your of your whole uh, um, history. So for some people, Tom Tom Club is their favorite. So uh, uh -huh. tell, me, tell me about. I mean, I was looking at some pictures. I, I follow you on social media, so I've seen uh -huh. some wonderful, wonderful adverts you've been doing for this book, which um, has uh, visuals of all of Tom Tom Club in um in Bahamas. Yes. Compass Point Studios in Nassau, Bahamas. Yeah, what happened was um, uh, around 1981, after we'd been touring uh, the world with for Remain in Light, uh, David decided he was going to do a solo album. It was uh, eventually called The Catherine Wheel. And when, when Jerry heard that David was going to be doing a solo record, he said, well, then I'm going to do a solo record. So Jerry was working on a solo record. And Tina and I had no idea that we, uh, no ambitions to do another record outside of Talking Heads, because to us, Talking Heads was like the mothership. You know, it was, we were very happy and content in, with, within that, you know, band. But uh, our accountant said, Tina, you better do something or you're going to be broke because the, the, um, the Remain in Light tour, because we had so many people on that tour and right. so many airplane tickets and so many hotels and everything, there was no money left at the end of the tour. I'm sure you're familiar with that situation. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Nothing at the end of it. Yeah. So, so uh, our manager, Gary, went to Chris Blackwell and said, Chris and Tina would love, now we already knew Chris Blackwell uh, from the two oh, records, yeah. two records we'd made, uh, more songs about buildings and food and remain in light, were also recorded at Compass Point in, in Nassau, which was 
a studio that he owned. Okay. And um, so Chris Blackwell said to Gary, um, now I understand the value of a good rhythm section. So what I propose is that T Chris and Tina come down a compass point, record a single. And if I like the single, then they can do a whole album. Wow. So we said, thank you. We love that offer. We'll do it. Yeah. We, we, we had a meeting with Lee Perry oh. in New York. And, and Lee, we decided Lee Perry's got to be our producer. Cool. So we met, we met with Scratch at the Howard Johnson's where all the Rastas stayed on 8th Avenue. And uh, it, the meeting was supposed to begin at 11 o'clock at night, but they kept us waiting for a while. Uh, and eventually around midnight, we, we, we had a nice conversation with Scratch and we explained to him what we wanted to do. And he said, yeah, man, I can do it. Well, so we booked the studio. We got our gear down to uh, Nassau, the Bahamas, and started waiting. And we were waited and waited, and we, wait, we waited for two weeks. You're for real? A scratch never showed up. So, so. Um, Where was he? Well, who knows? <laughs> but, but anyway. Finally, our manager, Gary Kerfers, got in touch with, with, with Scratch and said, Scratch, you know you're supposed to be in the Bahamas. Chris and Tina are waiting for you. And he said, yeah, man, I know, but uh, we have to talk about the money. And, uh, and Gary said, okay, well, what do you want? And Gary had, you know, worked with the Bob Marley and the Whalers and wow. managed Toots, Toots and the Maytals, and he, he had some experience you know, dealing with Jamaican entertainers. And uh, <laughs> he, 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 Scratch said, I need a thousand dollars an hour. And Gary, Gary that's, said- That's crazy talk. Yeah, Gary said, it sounds like you're trying to price yourself out of a job. Um, and, and Scratch said, no problem. We make the album in six hours. <laughs> So anyway, we decided. Genius, and did you? I uh, mean, you didn't get no, those terms, did he? No, no. Uh, we what we did was uh, Tina had an idea that we should work with a young Jamaican engineer named Stephen Stanley, who was in residence at Compass Point. And Stevie, he was he was only like twenty, or something like that. And he he had recorded the basic tracks for. Once in a lifetime, oh. remain light, and so we knew he was good, and we really liked him. He he was like he had become a friend of ours. So we went in with Stevie, and we we made a a single called Wordy Rapping Hood, classic, and uh, we got Tina's sisters down to do the vocals. Tina and I did the basic track. Tina's sisters, because they they were a thing, weren't they? The Weymouth sisters. Yes, they were, they were super wonderful. Yeah. And uh, they, they came down and um, it, it was, they were, they were, Tina was struggling with what to do for, for lyrics. And then finally she said, words, 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 what am I going to do? And then she said, oh, I know, I'll write a song about words. 
Perfect. And uh, then her sister Lonnie, they were they went off to the beach, and her sister Lonnie suddenly remembered this chant that they had sung as little school children when they were living in France, and it was a evidently it's it was originally a North African, possibly Moroccan. Uh, chant that goes ram sam sam ram sam sam kuni 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 ram sam sam and and uh she she, uh she reminded tina of that and tina said yes and and, uh they came back in as a surprise back into the studio they came back in still in their bathing suits and and they um they said we're we're gonna sing something in the chorus and uh so you know me stevie and i and uh, uh benji who was a uh, the greatest assistant engineer of all time uh, from the bahamas was we were sitting there and the, and we stevie pressed play and record and they sang that rum sum sum chant and we were all like hallelujah yeah. this is per- perfect you know it's so so totally unexpected and so fresh you know and so uh that's how that song came about and we played we played it for chris blackwell and chris blackwell said oh i love this and and, uh i'm gonna release it in uh europe the uk europe and latin america which is what we had signed to him for and and uh, uh it went to uh it went top 10 in, I think, seven countries in Europe. In the UK, it reached only number seven. Uh, what? That's meanwhile, um, meanwhile down, in, down in Buenos Aires, Argentina, it went to number one. And, and, and in Mexico City, also number one. So it, it, it just uh, exploded. Right. And, and uh, then we began work on the, on the whole album. The, ne- the next song we, we really concentrated on was, uh, turned out to be called Genius of Love. Another I, mega hit. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and we did a, a song called L'Elephant, which is all in French. So you might not understand it, but it's an anti-war song about oh. the uh, animal, animal kingdom. The, it could also be a climate change song. Um, did- uh, did the French love that, 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 that it was a, a French yes. song? Yes, and, and, and I think they loved, uh, I mean, Wordy Rapping Hood has, has a couple of French lines in it too, which, of course, they enjoyed in France. Yeah, and you, at the beginning, you, said, you, know, you mentioned Psycho Killer as well, which has some French in it. So yes, yes. I, I, yeah, very, very charming. And anyway, Tom uh, Tom Club became that that first album uh b- became the biggest hit we'd ever had uh in terms of commercial success but also it it, it was successful artistically Absolutely. and uh i mean it 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 was a sh- i think a shock to david byrne and jerry that that Chris and Tina's record like outsold theirs by a hundred times or maybe more. Uh, but that, you know. But it's not many people that can do two acts to their musical life, you know. 
Well, and also what's interesting is with with Talking Heads, we wanted we in, our intention was to do uh, uh, create a sound that didn't sound like anybody else. Yeah. And then with Tom Tom Club, our our intention was to create a sound that didn't sound anything like Talking Heads oh. because we didn't want to be perceived as riding on anybody else's coattails, especially our own band. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, it, yeah. It, you know, it was like magic to me. It was just uh, so wonderful. And, and you know, sharing it with your, with the love of your life, your wife. Yeah. Tina and Chris, I mean, it's just the embodiment of the two of you, isn't it? I mean, I obviously know that other people played on the records and tour with you, but Tom Tom Club is very much the essence of the two of you. Yes, it is. And, um, which is a magical uh, thing, and I guess, me? which is a magical thing, and one of the threads that goes through your whole book, Remain in Love. Yes. You know, that you, um, well, like you said earlier, that you aren't a person that just moves on from things. You remain constant to, to the things that you care about. And as well That's as, right. you know, music, it's also your love for Tina. Um, I, on, honestly, everybody has to go and buy Remain if you haven't already got it, which I imagine a large swath of Britain will have already bought it by now. <laughs> but um, if you don't have it uh, yet, please go and buy Chris's book from High Street Bookstores, One Presumes, and also, of course, on Amazon. And you said, you said another outlet, didn't you? Uh, rough Trade. Oh, perfect. Rough, rough Trade. Uh, get, they need the business. Go on down there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where does the book end? What what part of your? I mean, do you bring the book right up until modern day? The 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 book ends in two thousand one, when when uh, Talking Heads was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, and, and what? Just tell us what kind of wisdom did you glean from when you look back? What was? How do? How do you feel about that? About the Hall of Fame? Yeah, that, you know, and how, how it sums up the whole book, or why did you choose that as your last chapter? Well, it, it was a convenient place to, uh, to end, and, uh, but, but, you know, ha having written this book and, and examining my own life and, and the life of my, our bands mm. and uh, our friends, I, I I have, I must say, I have a great deal of uh, sympathy uh, and, well, sympathy isn't the right word. I have a better understanding of what it was like for David and also what it was like for Tina. I think Jerry and I, we pretty much were comfortable in our, our gig. Mm -hmm. but, uh, uh, but I think uh, David, as much as he loved being a star and wanted to be a star, I think he had problems with uh, dealing with success. And I, I don't think it was always easy. And uh, with Tina, it was a different set of problems, but it was also, uh, uh, you know, a woman in that business. And, and it, that was not always easy either. And I, I realized that. Uh, and also, of course, she was a, you both had children through, throughout a lot of this. And so your, yeah. your baby yeah. was on the road with you as well. Yes. But uh, on the whole, I, I, uh, 
I wrote the book because uh, nobody's really written a book about uh, my life. <laughs> Somebody had to do it. And, uh, and also, yeah. it's not just the chronology of your musical bench, but so many funny stories in there. Like, if for all of us who are, I mean, for us as musicians, but also for anyone who's a fan of music, right, there's nothing we like more than reading behind the, you know, backstage anecdotes and behind the scenes, what happened and how it happened and who was there when it happened. All of that stuff, so fast, endlessly fascinating. And um, Thank you, Wendy. Your book is <laughs> abundant with these stories. And what, you know, as Debbie Harry says, that she did, what did she say? She said she was blown away or her socks were knocked off by the memories. I think she used the term gobsmacked. <laughs> you know, <laughs> gobsmacked. When you've got, I don't know how to say that. That's a very, very high compliment from Debbie Harry, isn't it? Yes. I, 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 by the way, I do write in the book about when the, the whole gobbing sensation Ooh, in, in the punk days and like, Birmingham and Manchester and to a certain extent London. They did um, that to you guys as well, did they? I thought they were just doing that to British punks. They did it a little bit to us. They really did it to the Ramones. Right. Uh, I see that. Uh, it was it was just disgusting. <laughs> I mean, uh, Joe Strummer caught hepatitis from it, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. It went straight into his mouth and he swallowed it back. My God, it's disgusting. Uh. Uh, uh, yeah, not one of Britain's great, greater contributions to rock. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, Chris, I could carry on talking to you for hours, but uh, I should play some more music. I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been for me to hear, hear you tell us about your book. And please, everybody, go and buy Remain in, Remain in Love by Chris Franz. Um, Chris, say, tell us what, tell us, Tell us one final thing, and uh, then we'll go back to listening to some music. Thank you for being here. Well, well it's been a great pleasure for me, Wendy. It's always fun to speak with you. Oh. And uh, I, I would like to say, uh, recommend that everybody go out and buy your new album, Queen <laughs> High Straight, which is fantastic. And the video, so cute. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good of you to say that, Chris. Um, yeah, you're I, welcome. I did the show the other day and I uh, blew my own trumpet on that one. This show's all about you, but thank you. So thank you to Chris Franz from Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club here telling us about his book, Remain in Love, which is a must read. Absolutely everyone go and get it now, today. Go online now. <laughs> thank you, Chris. <laughs> thank you, Wendy. Cheers. Bye.